morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to the series, our study entitled Identity. Identity. There's identity crisis of sorts in our nation, in our world, and certainly as believers, as Christians, we need to know who we are in Christ. So we're taking a look at a number of passages, a number of things that God in in His Word declares that you and I are to be. Again, in, in these past couple of weeks, we've said that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So week one, we looked at ambassador. You and I are Christ's ambassador. Last week, we took a look at masterpiece, workmanship, craftsmanship. You and I are a masterpiece in Christ. Without Christ, boy, are we in trouble. Can I get an amen? But with Christ, we are a masterpiece. So today I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to make you hungry. We're going to make you thirsty today because Jesus also declares that you are the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. How many of you can just uh, give a great big rousing me to say you're a salt kind of person? You got to get some of you, you know, that that shaker is like duct tape to your hand, Right? So right about now, you're feeling pretty good. Jesus said, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the big salt shaker, right? Now, number of references to salt in the Word of God. Probably one of the most well-known is in uh, Genesis chapter 19. Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, That would have lasted for quite a while, right? A little bit later in Judges chapter 9, Abimelech destroyed a city and scattered salt over it. And in Job 6, Job asks a question maybe some of you ask. He says this, is tasteless food eaten without salt? And the answer is probably no. If you're a salt kind of person, you say absolutely not. That's a rhetorical question. You put salt on tasteless food. Now, in ancient times, salt was seen as a necessity, one of the most highly prized minerals available. You and I aren't maybe quite as high on it because, boy, it just seems to be everywhere. I mean, you might have how many different salt shakers? Some of you might collect salt and pepper shakers. And and you've got shakers all over the house, and, and they're all filled with salt or pepper or whatnot. But it's a mineral that's been used for many, many years. Archaeologists have found places in Romania where people were boiling water to extract salts. In fact, some salt works in China date back thousands of years. It's been around a long time. It's a normal part of life for many people. So this is not necessarily a parable, although he's certainly using it as a metaphor. He's using something very familiar to teach about some spiritual truths. So everybody would know about salt. It'd be like, you know, Jesus talking about, you are a chocolate bar. Everybody'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm with that. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So people would have known it, tasted it, experienced it. It's a regular part of life. And so when it comes to salt, salt is, well, salt's pretty valuable. The author Homer 
called it divine. Plato called it a substance dear to the gods. Some of you would say amen to that. A substance dear to the gods. Shakespeare mentioned salt 17 times in his plays. Now, again, we don't think of it quite as highly because it's just everywhere. How many of you have one of those, uh, I think it's Morton, isn't it Morton salts in the, in the blue canister? And I think it's, is it the little girl with the, uh, with the umbrella and the, and the boots or the galoshes or something like that that's on that? I mean, that kind of tends to be what a lot of people think about. They've kind of got the, the market cornered on that. Or maybe some of those little, how many of you have a salt grinder? You've got some of those like chunky pieces of salt and, and you grind some of the salt on your, your plate and your food. We tend to not think about it because you've probably got several different salt and pepper shakers around. You tend to not think about it until the doctor says, no more for you. High blood pressure, heart healthy diets. Maybe you've been in the hospital for some things like that. And uh, all of a sudden, salt becomes a super important thing to you. So you've probably got a whole bunch of bottles, the little white plastic bottles, even here at the church. We've got a whole tray of them, salt and pepper, right? And so you shake it, you, you put it on the food, but we tend to not give it a second thought. And yet here in Scripture, Jesus says you are salt of the earth. So certainly in biblical days and in older cultures, salt was maybe a little more valuable to them than what we might look at. Romans believed there was nothing as valuable as salt except for the sun. Ancient Rome soldiers were paid in salt. It was their salarium. From that we get our term or word salary. If a soldier did not perform well, he might have been said of him, he was not worth his... A phrase that's kept up to this day. Someone's not worth their salt. Uh, they're, 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 not just, they're not up to the task. Our human body, it said, contains about four ounces worth of salt. Without enough of it, our muscles won't contract and our blood won't circulate. Without enough of it, food won't digest and our heart won't beat. Without enough of it, salt is certainly part of the essence of life. So some of you are probably saying, well, then a good thing I'm doing my part to keep some salt in my body. Maybe some of you use that shaker a little bit too much. It's considered valuable. It, it's something that preserves food. Now, you and I, we can take chicken or steak or ground beef or pork, and you put it in the freezer. You don't give it a second thought for days or even weeks until you need it. Not everybody had freezers, right, back in the day. They would have to salt their meat and salt and cover that entire thing to preserve it. You'd rub it into the meat to store, and it, it hindered that process of decay. Salt adds flavor. Can I get an amen? There we go. Salt adds flavor. Now, we're encouraged to use it in moderation. You've probably heard that term from doctors and others. Use salt in moderation. But it's a wonderful seasoning, and, and some of you are maybe more into that than others. Makes food tasteful. Makes food pleasurable. You go out to eat. Most restaurants have salt and pepper table uh, shakers on the table. In a church dinner or meal or you gather together, you typically see a salt and pepper shaker. So how many of you, you know, you take a bite and then you add salt and pepper? How many of you, before you even take a bite, you just go reach for the salt and pepper and you just douse it? 
So we got a handful of you. All right? You ever tasted something entirely without salt? Again, maybe you've been in the hospital and you, you had a, one of those heart-healthy diets or, you know, something that was prescribed for you. Certainly, you know, we're encouraged to reduce salt and reduce sugar and reduce fat and all the stuff that tastes good, less of it, right? All the stuff that doesn't taste good, they say, eat more of it. And so, you know, we, we try to be good at times. And so uh, different times in the past when we've gotten some soups, I said, hey, Kim, why don't you, you know, grab one of those uh, healthy soups, you know, the reduced sodium. And so I think it was a I think it was Progresso Heart Healthy Soup. I'm, I'm going to, you know, maybe try to be a little, a little better about some things. So try some of that Progresso Heart Healthy Soup. And so whatever the next time was, maybe we had a grilled cheese and soup. She made me one of those. I took one taste of it, and what did I do? Went for the salt shaker. Kind of defeated the purpose of that, right? Salt adds flavor. Now, you can tell when something's got a little too much, but you and I also tell when there really isn't the flavor in there. But Jesus looks to you, and as you and I have been encouraged in past weeks, he says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are a masterpiece in Christ. This is Jesus himself. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What in the world does that mean, and, and what can that encourage us to do? If we know who we are as the salt of the earth, it will lead us to know what to do. First of all, if we are salt, and if we are the salt of the earth, we are to live different. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? No longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. If salt isn't any different than the food it comes into contact with, it's not going to make a difference. It's got to be different than the food. It's got to have some kind of substance and some saltiness there, or you're not going to know that you put some salt on. It's different than the food. When I put some of that salt on heart-healthy soup, boy, I tasted a difference. You and I are to live different. We've got to be different from the people that we're seeking to impact and influence for Christ. Someone put it this way, what we are influenced by influences our influence. Now, other than the fact that the word influence is used three times in one sentence, it's kind of catchy. What we are influenced by influences our influence. Are we living differently than the people around us? Jesus has called us to do that. We're not to just blend right in and act like everybody else in the world. We are, we are called to live for Jesus Christ, called to be salt of the earth. People, let's just put it this way, people should not be shocked if they hear that you're a Christian or if they hear that you go to a church, if your classmate, if your coworker, if your family member, if your neighbor, if we show up and say, hey, did you know that so-and-so is a Christian, and their mouth drops and hits the floor, and they can't believe it, 
we're not living differently than everybody else. What should be the case? People should look to say, whoa, he is different. She is different. The way that they carry themselves and their speech and their actions, their attitude, how they interact with people, it's obvious there's something different with them. They love Jesus. I mean, if somebody's shocked to find out that you go to church, nevertheless, not even saying Christian, but if they're shocked to hear that you go to church, then that lifestyle must not be different enough to trigger something in them. Because how many of you know, people have their own opinions as to what a church person, what a Christian should be. There's a whole lot of people that don't know the Lord, that don't love the Lord, that are far from God, but they know what that ought to look like. You've met some. So if we are not living differently than the world from people who don't know Jesus, from people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, if they can't see something different in us, if our speech isn't different from the average person in the world, there's going to be questions. Oh man, so-and-so, their, their speech is about as dirty as mine. They cuss more than I do. We're not living differently than the ones that were around. Wow, I've seen so-and-so in the same places that I went, they might say. Part of being salt, living as salt, is living differently. I'm sure at some point in the years that I've been here, I've, I've mentioned back in time about my McDonald's experience. Now, for many, many years, I've been in ministry as a youth pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, and even before that, I was going to Bible school. So whenever somebody knows that you are a pastor or you're in Bible school, immediately they're thinking, okay, you should be different. So I got to go back even farther to high school. And boy, that seems... Farther and farther and farther away, the older and older and older I get. Some of you, you feel the, feel the pain there. But back in high school, I, my very first job, as I mentioned, was in McDonald's. Yes, I worked in the grill, flipping burgers. I smelled like onions every single day. And in McDonald's, uh, the grill is right behind kind of the, the front. And this was back when they had kind of the, the warming ovens, if you would, up front. So you would make all the burgers and things like that, wrap them, and then they would sit up there for a while. So we had a couple of tables and, and the grills. And then behind those tables where we would toast the, uh, the buns and where we would, you know, make all of the burgers and sandwiches a little farther back were the fryers. And we had fryers for like the filet of fish and for the chicken and for the nuggets. And so the nuggets were kind of fried up and then put in a warming bin or a warming drawer. It was kind of like a, a drawer. And they would sit there for a little while. Now that particular part of the grill, that particular part of the back, was the closest then to the break room where you would clock in and clock out. And so typically, the average teenager who worked at McDonald's would, you know, when their shift was over, they would go back, they would clock out, they would grab their backpack, and they would drop down super quick 
fold up a box, stuff as many nuggets in it as they could, throw it in their backpack and leave. That was the average teenager at McDonald's. I was trying not to be average. I'm trying to live for Jesus. So I'm not stealing nuggets. I, I felt good. They gave us half off as an employee. So I thought, man, I'm, I'm saving some money, half off. Everything I eat, I'm going to pay for. So I never stole a nugget. And time after time after time, they would see me check out and leave with no nuggets. And other people would clock out, sneak down, grab a box of nuggets, because that was the furthest away from all the managers. And one of the, uh, one of the employees was a good friend with one of the other young people in the church. And he began talking to this young man about this guy named Mark. He's like, man, he never steals any chicken nuggets. It blew him away that somebody's not stealing. Now, I'm I'm thankful that I'm seeking to live for Jesus, but something that seems so common, something that seems so obvious, like don't steal, blew somebody away because it was different than the average. Now, in many years since, everyone knows, hey, he's in Bible college. Hey, he's a youth pastor. Everybody assumes and knows and trusts and believes, and now the Raiders are already up for somebody who's in ministry. But for a teenage boy, the average assumption was everybody's going to just steal a nugget. They just do, but he doesn't. What about you? What about your job, your workplace, students you hang around with in school, family members you connect with, neighbors that you connect with, those in the community? When they see you interact, when they hear the language that comes out of your mouth, when they see the things and observe where you and I go, is it different from the people around us? It should be. As salt of the earth, we ought to live different. Unfortunately, the trend is not so much anymore. George Barna is a church statistician. He does a lot of uh, research about churches and ministry. And his research, he says, shows that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing, he says. When our, teams, uh, when our teens that we claim to have that are saved get pregnant and do drugs at the same rate as the general population, when the marriages of Christians end in divorce at the same rate as the rest of society, when Christians cheat in business or lie, cheat, and steal from their spouses at the same statistical level as those who say they are not Christians, something is horribly wrong. There should be a difference between the Christian and those who don't know Jesus Christ. And Jesus, his challenge to the disciples, his challenge to you and I is, you're salt. Salt is to be different. It's to make an impact. Don't lose the distinctive. Don't lose the qualities of Christ-likeness. We've got to be different and live different for Jesus Christ.
so that we are not a hindrance to those around us. They should see evidence of Jesus in us. So salt of the earth, first of all, we've got to live different. Second encouragement is this. I think we've got to stay salty. Now, let's be careful about that. Some of you are like, man, I'm pretty salty as it is. You might be uh, referencing that a little bit differently. Salty as in Jesus saying, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not so much that the salt itself just doesn't become salt. I mean, it's sodium chloride. It's this pretty stable mineral. But in Jesus' time, salt was collected near the Dead Sea, and many times it was contaminated with some other minerals. Those formations were full of impurities, and rain could wash out the actual salt. So what you're left with would be some minerals, but it's not really salt. And so what you think is salt, and you shake it onto your food, and you don't taste anything, we think, oh, salt must have become unsalty. It's the thing is, it looked like salt, acted like salt, but was not salt. It was other forms of impurities that remained. The salt was gone. So that, that phrase, in a sense, we could say, maybe accurately, if the salt loses its saltiness, if it becomes tainted, if it becomes impure, if it, in a sense, becomes worthless. It's no value other than to be spread upon the ground and trampled on. I mean, if you shake something from a salt shaker and it doesn't taste any different, what good is that salt? It's not that somehow that magically changed to something else. It's what you thought was salt wasn't. It's the impurities. We've got to stay salty by staying pure for God. Develop that desire for what's right, for what's godly, for what He desires in our heart and in our life. We stay salty by staying consistent and authentic. Does that mean every single one of us are going to be perfect? No. But can we live consistent for Christ? Yeah. It's a huge roadblock. Maybe you've seen it perhaps before you came to Christ or you've been in conversations with friends or family members who don't know Christ, and a huge roadblock to somebody turning to Jesus, unfortunately, is the example of a Christian who doesn't live a Christian life. Well, I mean, if so-and-so says they're a Christian, and they say all this stuff I say, and they do all this stuff I do, I'm just as good as that person. Why do I need Christ? That's the argument that many individuals would give. And so the goal is not that we're going to be perfect because we're not, but can we live faithful? Can we live consistent? And when we mess up, can we own up to it? God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. An inconsistent lifestyle, a lifestyle just like the rest of the world, it actually repels people from church. It repels people from Christ. Why do I want what you have if you live the same that I do? Your speech is the same as mine. Your life is the same as mine. Okay, you go to church. 
There's no difference, they would say. So Jesus says, stay salty, stay pure, stay authentic, stay consistent as salt. How many of you know people are watching you? You don't have to blab it from the rooftops. I'm a Christian. People see and observe. They'll know that you didn't go where they went, and they'll know that you said something about church, or they'll know that you said something about a Bible study. They'll know they heard you say something about this study, or you're reading in your devotions, or maybe some of the music you've listened to. It's not quite what they listen to. People observe. People know. People watch you. I heard about a minister who is building a wooden trellis to su uh, support a climbing vine. As he's pounding away on the wood, he noticed a little boy from the uh, community came up and just sat there staring at him. He didn't say a word, so the preacher kept working, thinking this little boy would just leave. He would get bored and leave, but he didn't. Pleased at the thought that his work was being admired by someone so small, he finally asked, are you, are you trying to pick up some pointers on carpentry or gardening? Because he, he's building this trellis for the garden. He's thinking it's one or the other. He's interested in gardening or he's interested in woodwork. Little boy replied, neither one. I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. Some people are like that. They're just waiting. How do you react? How do you react when something doesn't go right? What kind of words come out of your lips? What kind of attitude and actions come out? Again, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect because we do mess up. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be consistently pure and honoring of God in our lifestyle? The goal is to live different. The goal is to stay salty. You might not be a pastor. You might not be a, quote, board member. You might not be a teacher in a ministry or in a Sunday school class. But as someone who goes to a church, as someone who is a Christian, people are looking at you. And it's not just as a teenager in McDonald's. It can be as an adult in your workplace, as an adult in your community, People see and people know. And they've got their ideas, they've got their thoughts on what a Christian should look like, sound like, and act like. And they're always wondering, is this person one of them? Jesus says, listen, you're the salt of the earth. Live different. Stay salty. And thirdly, get out. Get out of the salt shaker. Salt does no good if you leave it in the shaker. Some of you say amen. That's why I liberate that salt as much as I can, and you're shaking it out on that plate. Freeing that salt. Salt doesn't do any good. It doesn't make an impact on any food if it's simply left in the shaker. Olden days, that salt had to literally be coated on and rubbed into the meat to help it to keep from decaying. I needed to release some of that salt from the salt shaker to help that Progresso heart-healthy soup be palatable to go down. It didn't matter how much I had in a shaker. If it never came in contact with that soup, it would not have done its job. 
if you and I are salt, let's not just stay in the shaker here at church. Church is not so much a warehouse. Let us be more of the dispenser, releasing people into the communities, releasing people into schools. Releasing people into jobs and neighborhoods to say, yes, release to live and act and serve faithfully to the Lord. When we come in contact with other people, that's when we're able to make a difference. And I know you've, you've encountered some of that. No doubt at some point, if you've been living different and staying salty, You've had a conversation. Somebody said something about you. Your smile, your countenance, your expression, your speech, your faithfulness, your kindness, your whatever it is. Something's different about you, they said. They noticed it. They saw it. You were then able, at least in a little way, to live out something for Jesus. And in some cases, hopefully to tell someone about Jesus. That happens as we live different or to point people around us to Jesus it's kind of like what John the Baptist did as he pointed out Jesus he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world let me let me point you to him I'm gonna live different I'm gonna stay salty he's the one you're gonna want to look to or Andrew who took his brother to meet Jesus in John chapter 1 or Philip who finds his best friend and Brings him to Jesus, John chapter 1. The woman at the well who meets and connects with Jesus and then shares with her neighbors the good news about Jesus, John chapter 4. The Philippian jailer who came to faith in Christ and then shared with his entire family, Acts chapter 16. Lois and Eunice who shared their faith with their family, 2 Timothy chapter 1. So many opportunities you and I have to get out to get out of the church building, to get out of the home building and into our communities, into our schools, into our families, into the jobs and workplaces, into the neighborhoods, every place that we might be to represent and live for Jesus Christ. He says, you're the salt. You're the salt. We've got to be in close proximity, close connection to individuals. I want you to think about individuals that you come in contact with. I would venture to say there's at least one. There's probably a whole bunch of ones who don't know Jesus. Some of them, maybe you you rub shoulders with, you connect with them every single day at school, at work, in the neighborhood. Some, maybe it's on a weekly or on a monthly basis. People that we connect with as salt, let's be faithful to live different, to stay salty, but to get out, to reach out to them. The challenge can be, if we're not careful, to be a little bit more isolated. We hang out in our Christian bubble, hang out in our Christian services and Bible studies, and all of those are great things. But we are to, as well, reach others for Jesus Christ. And we can't do that unless we reach out and get out can't stay in the salt shaker and be the flavoring, the seasoning that people need. Allow ourselves to be poured out, connected to the life of somebody else. See, to be salt 
Don't have to be spectacular. Don't have to be sensational. Just need to impact our portion, our corner of the world where God has us. Allow yourself to be poured out. Come in contact with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Live different. Stay salty and get out. <laughs>